Good morning, everybody. It is great to be with you here again. I am very thankful uh, for the opportunity that I get to have to be a part of this community. Thank you so much, Dave, for allowing me to do that. Um, uh, it's not every day that, that you get asked to speak through a minor prophet, uh, I'll tell you, especially if you're a guest speaker, guest speakers. I mean, this is, I was like, man, don't guest speakers get to do like John 3.16? Isn't that kind of our go-to? We just hit that thing and away we go. But, but, uh, but we're shooting through Ezra and it's been great. I, got, I, had, a, I had the chance to listen uh, to, to Dave and David both preach through Ezra the first four chapters and I got to be caught up, and I'm like, man, isn't this a rich space for us to be in? You know, it's just, it's, it's ama- I'm always amazed at how um, something written thousand years ago, thousands of years ago, has such power and relevance to the moments that we're in right now. It says something about our God, doesn't it? You know, my son right now is, is asking me the questions. He's like, he's like, dad, he was, he was at, a, at, a, at a party the other night with some, some people, and and he's like, Dad, I need to be able to answer questions about my faith more. Like, I'm getting asked questions, and I'm a little bit embarrassed. I'm not sure I'm answering right. And, you know, uh, for a dad's heart, in one sense, that, that's like the best question ever. Like, that, that's, the, that's the concern that, that my boy has in that space. In another sense, I'm like, oh, I got work to do again. You know, like, I got work to do again to help him answer the hard questions that are coming his way. And, and one of the things I just talked to him about is, again, as I just said, son, you know, uh, we have this wonderful God who has spoken to us. Isn't that amazing? Can we just pause for a second and think about this idea that we have a God who has spoken to us? who has chosen to reveal himself to us. So amazing to me. And he's chosen to reveal himself in his word. So in one sense, we don't even have to wonder. You know, like like when we sit there and go, man, what would God have us do in this moment? It's not like we have to kind of have this mystical experience of trying to guess our feeling in a moment and figure out if maybe that's God speaking or not. We actually get to go to the written word that's been preserved for us for like thousands of years. And we get to go there and go, okay, what does God say to us in this moment? And then what's so beautiful about about his scriptures, and I just, I got to say to my son, I said, son, what just blows me away is it's written by so many different authors in so many different settings and moments in history. And yet it is so coherent and so like, so consistent in what's being communicated. I mean, we can't communicate, you know, my boy and I consistently about an event that we've been together at a week ago. Like our storylines are so off. And then I go here to the scriptures and I go, how is it even possible that it is so consistent and coherent over so much time by so many different authors in so many different spaces? And I'm so thankful that we have a God who has spoken to us. In Hebrews chapter one, it says he's spoken to us in, in many times and in many ways. And I just, I think what's amazing about that is, is he has revealed himself to us in so many different contexts so that no matter what context we are in, we can go back to the scriptures and find him speak to us within the context we're in now. His, his word is so true for us in this moment that we're in now. But not only is it true, it's deeply relationally meaningful. And and ultimately, it's through his son, Jesus Christ, that we actually see his word expressed and lived out for us and calling us into a way of being. And Ezra has been like this space 
where again, I just, I'm, I'm, I'm marveled at how this time in history, God can use this time in history to speak to us at our time in history and give us a way forward in a really complex and difficult space that we're in. Yeah, you know, the title of the series is Renewal. And I was thinking a little bit about, you know, how difficult renewal is. That idea of starting again. Isn't starting again hard? Uh, We just, Dave referenced it when he was praying up here. So our organization has spent the last couple of weeks traveling across Canada, meeting with youth workers. So we got this great idea that we thought it would be so cool to, you know, since we can't do conferences, we normally do conferences at different places across the country. We just thought we'd essentially do coffees across the country. That was kind of, not, not totally just coffees, but that was kind of the idea. So we did, uh, we put together this tour that over 16 days, we'd end up doing 21 events in 21 different locations across the country. So, so we just hit it. We hit the ground running. We started in Kelowna. We did Kelowna in the morning, drove to Kamloops for the evening and met with youth workers there in the evening and did our event. And then we did like, we did Abbotsford, Vancouver, Victoria. We came over here to Edmonton. We were actually in our gym just a little while ago with, with about 50 youth workers in our gym, socially distanced, properly spaced, had a great time with them. It was wonderful. And then we did Red Deer and Calgary, Grand Prairie and over to Saskatoon, Regina, Winnipeg, and all the way and then into the east. And then we, we did like Barrie, Burlington, London, Montreal, Ottawa, Moncton, and then uh, Charlottetown and Halifax. So we literally got to go coast to coast across our country over the last couple of weeks, and it was amazing. And, um, and for those of you who have kind of been tracking with us in the church here over the last year, we've hit a couple of different series. You know that I had the opportunity to speak on this idea of looking after our bodies in the summer, right? And I'd, I just talked about this idea that God is really concerned with our human bodies, and we should be too, and we should steward them well. You know, the, 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 the kingdom is a physical kingdom, and we're called to be physical people within it. I talked about the idea of like, you know, some things you could do, like maybe being active, you know, being physically active can help us with mental health. It can help us with physical health. It can help us with fatigue. It can help us in all sorts of different ways. So we're trying to help youth workers, you know, in this pressurized space, be healthy to stay on point on the mission that God's called them to. And so uh, we said, I said that I would run 5K at every location that we were at on this tour, which was a cre- like a really good idea in theory, really hard idea in practice, because we're getting up in, you know, in Montreal early in the morning. I got to run there, and then we're in Ottawa at night. I'm trying to figure out. I did every location except Ottawa. Ottawa is the only place where I wasn't able to get this silly run in. And then when this tour was over this last week, I just crashed. And so for the last week, I was like doing nothing. Uh, And now as I've neared the end of the week, I'm like, I got to start again. And the idea of starting again, of getting back into it, of moving again, being renewed again is just, it's hard work. It's hard to get going again, isn't it? You know, when we met with youth workers across the country and they've been talking about the last, you know, 18 months to two years, and how youth ministry has so changed over the last 18 months to two years. And in many ways, many of our churches and ministries across our country have just been trying to survive. That's really it. And then coming into this fall, there was this idea of, hey, we need to start again. We need to renew our focus, renew our engagement. We need to kind of move and go again. And it's been um, shocking to me how hard that experience is. 
you know, we were so excited about the concept of being able to, you know, in youth ministry, of being able to gather again and do ministry again. But man, it hasn't come easy. It's been really difficult. And we felt this in our own home as well. You know, uh, we, we used to talk about the idea of, hey, we can't wait to get out of 2020 when the pandemic started, get into 2021 and get going again. At the camp this summer where, where my wife's the director, you know, we brought people, we had campers, we had staff again. And I remember the first day just feeling like overwhelmed by what was taking place. And I realized we were only at half capacity, barely got going. And it just felt like so much work to get started again, to re-engage the mission. I remember halfway through the summer uh, in Kelowna, in the interior of BC, we got new restrictions and regulations. As startups happening, new restrictions. We were the only camp in the province that got hit with new restrictions in the middle of camp for how we could function. And I remember going to Jen and just saying, man, wouldn't it be nice to go back to 2020? Like, you remember those days before we were trying to start again? It's just difficult and it's hard. I think um, when I think about us, just, just as the church, you know, not, not just Ellerslie Road, but I think about the church in general, I think that this is, these are difficult seasons for us. This idea that we're trying to start again, we're trying to re-engage, we're trying to move forward. We want to lean into mission, you know, but this, this missional renewal, it's not easy. I was talking with one youth pastor and one of our goals for this trip was to, was to move youth ministries to, into missional renewal again. To move from just trying to survive to think about this idea that God has a call on our lives. Like we are to be bringers of hope into our culture, into the spaces where we are. Restore, renew, be people of recreation. This is our, this is our call as followers of Christ. Like we're supposed to be on mission. And we were just talking to youth workers and youth ministries and saying, hey, I know that over the last 18 months, you're just trying to just make it. Really, that's what you're trying to do. And many youth ministries across our country feel like they're not making it. They feel like they're crumbling. God has so blessed us here. I can't tell you again, after having gone across the country, how thankful I am for this church, for Abby and Conrad, for the volunteers, incredible volunteers, parents, young adults who are investing in the youth ministry here. The mission is good. It's moving forward. I'm so thankful for that. That's not the case across our country. It's, it's hard work. And I was sitting down with one, with one youth worker in, a, the Atlantic, in Atlantic Canada. And we, we were working through this idea of mission. And we said to him, we said, hey, what's the current reality of, of mission in, in your ministry context? How engaged are we at, at actively moving towards the renewal of all things, doing this kingdom work of bringing the gospel into the environments we are with our students? We said, what's going on? What's the difficulties? And then we said, what's a preferred future? What do you think God could do? Now, what's one way we could begin to move from this place of just making it to this place of mission? And the youth worker looked at me and goes, there is not one single thing I can do. I've got nothing. I'm done. And just, we were in a context of 20, 20 youth workers. He just goes, he was, he, you know, historically, he was one of the largest youth ministries in that environment. And he just goes, I'm done. I've got nothing. It's missional renewal. You, it's just, it's hard. But, but this is actually what God calls us to. And I think Ezra speaks so powerfully to us in this moment when God is saying to us, hey, the kingdom is not just about survival. 
The kingdom is this, is this force, this movement to bring renewal in all things. We are the conduit of the gospel to a world that desperately needs hope. So much darkness, but desperately needs hope. And this is our calling. This is who we are. God's moving us into this. And I think Ezra speaks to this. So for those of you who have just started with us, real quick history. If you take a look in Ezra real quick, and I won't be nearly as as in-depth as what Dave and David have done, but, but the idea being that the Israelite nation was taken into captivity. They'd chosen to walk from God. They trusted themselves instead of trusting God. And so the kingdom that, that they were in that was supposed to be kind of this expression of God's goodness that was supposed to be for the good of all nations, that's really the vision that was there, began to crumble. Because instead of being about God's way to the people around them, they became about their way. They focused inward on themselves, doing their own thing. They trusted themselves, not God. And so their kingdom crumbled. They were, they were invaded by the Babylonians, taken into exile by the Babylonians. And then the Babylonians were conquered again by Assyria. And there's movement that's happening kind of like in, in nations in that space. After the Israelites had been in exile for 50 years, the king of Assyria, Cyrus, says that, hey, we want you to go back and rebuild your temple rebuild your city so there's this this hope that's taking place that that they get to begin to rebuild this this center of of worship and become this place where God is present and at work in powerful ways and so about 50,000 go back and Ezra is speaking to this reality where they go back and they have some leaders that are with them and they begin the process of rebuilding. They, they, they begin to build like a place where they can do their sacrifices and, and, and begin in their worships, uh, a way of worshiping. And then they begin to rebuild the temple and they start to work on the temple, but then they begin to face pressure. And the people around them start to come and they start to press on them and, and, and they start to ask, why are they doing this? And they begin to, to, to just push against this renewal, this movement, and it becomes incredibly difficult and hard. And all of that renewal, all that work, all that momentum, it just stops. It ends. And instead of the people, and Dave talked about this last week, instead of the people being about building God's house, they turn inward and they focus on just building their own houses. They try to love themselves, I guess, if you will. Do you know what I mean? And in simply loving themselves, they end up like floundering, languishing, crumbling. Because, you know, the way that God designed us is that, you know, the way of flourishing is never about focusing on ourselves. That's actually not the way of flourishing. It's not the way that God has created us as people, as human beings, as as his people, that the way of flourishing is actually first focusing on him, loving God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, allowing him to be the one who renews, restores, rebuilds us, and then focusing on others, loving, loving our neighbor as we love ourselves. And what's really shocking is when we begin to move into mission as broken people, because we're broken people, no one's got it all together. But even within our brokenness, as we begin to move into mission, first loving him, then on his power, loving others, all of a sudden we begin to be renewed, restored, recreated. As we move to mission to others, God begins to renew us and his way is restored. And this is, and so we're in this space where they focus on themselves, they begin to crumble, and finally they come to this place where they realize after 16 years 
oh no, we got to get back about God's work again. We got to get renewed on the mission he has called us to. And it's interesting what happens in this space. A couple of points I want to make. Here's the first thing that I want to make. I want to say this, that missional renewal is never easy. Renewing for mission is never easy, but renewal will come. Renewal absolutely will come. Listen to what happens in Ezra 5, 1 to 2. We, we referenced it last week. Dave referenced it. He says this. Now the prophets Haggai and Zechariah, the son of Idol, prophesied to the Jews who were in Judah and Jerusalem in the name of the God of Israel who was over them. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Jeshua, the son of Josadak, rose and began to rebuild the house of God that is in Jerusalem. And the prophets of God were with them, supporting them. Do you hear this? It's been 16 years that they haven't been building on the temple being about God's house. And by the way, what was so important about that? Why was that, why was that so important? Because in the Old Testament, the temple was the place where people experienced the presence of God. Like the temple was a place where mission happened, where priests actually interceded for the people before God, restoring right relationship with God and bringing God's way to the people, flourishing ways of being. The temple was a place where the mission happened. So the temple was so important for them to build. This was the, this was the epicenter of renewal that they were being called to, right? And for 16 years, nothing had happened. But then after 16 years, all of a sudden, God begins to move again in a powerful way and the leaders are refocused and renewal happens. And you know what that says to me right now? It says to me, renewal will happen, my friends. You know, I think it's been two really hard years for the church. I get it. I think the pandemic's been different. It's been hard for everyone, but it's been hard for the church. And I speak to churches that are trying to regather again and we're regathering here again and people are online here. But lots of churches regathering is hard. Big buildings that sat 1,500 are, are sitting 500 right now, and it feels empty. That number seems large, but even so, in light of what was pre-pandemic, it feels empty. Youth ministries are trying to regather again, and it's small numbers compared to what was before, and it's really hard. It's difficult. And I think for some people, we kind of go, man, the church is like, it's fragile. This is a scary time. Will we be able to renew, restore, re-engage? Or is this, you know, for some people, is this kind of the end? And we have these horror stories that are coming. I want to say to us people, this is not the end. Renewal will happen. God has decreed that his church will grow. He will do his work. And he has said, not even the gates of hell will stand against it. Do you hear that? Matthew 16, 18, he says, And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. The church is going to grow. The church will be renewed. We will have presence, and God will work. He will. Renewal will take place. It's hard. This is difficult. But listen, this isn't the worst of times. You don't want to talk about being fragile. Think about Ezra. That was fragile. I mean, the one place they had where mission was like epicentered wasn't happening. They had 50,000 people. They'd all quit for 16 years. Nothing had happened. Can you imagine if for the next 16 years we couldn't gather here what we would start thinking about the state of the church? Like This isn't the most fragile time we've ever been in. There's much hope. The king is on the move. God is at work. He really is. The question is, will we join in with him? 
Will we join in with the work that he's doing because he has provided opportunities? We have the opportunity to bring hope in ways that maybe other people have never been willing to hear it before because the season is dark, like it's hard. People are losing jobs. People are losing health. There's difficult things. But in the midst of this, we have the opportunity to be the church, to do his work. But we got to refocus. I know it's hard for us and I know there's challenges and we aren't emotionally disengaged from those realities. But while we ask the Lord to do a work in us, we also need to move ourselves to do his work for others. Matthew 6, says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. He will, he will work. So he's not finished. Missional renewal is never easy, but it will come. And he's inviting us into his work. There's so much hope in this. I think the second thing I see from Ezra here is that missional renewal is never easy, but, but my friends, we expect opposition, right? The church is not shocked that things are hard. We shouldn't be shocked that things are hard. The reality is, is that opposition comes, and especially when we're about his work, especially when we are about the work of our king, when we are about Jesus' work, when we are about inviting people to see the beauty of Jesus and allow him to restore and renew and recreate as we surrender ourselves to him, when we get about Jesus' work, opposition comes. I mean, it's so fascinating. When you read Ezra, it seems to me like for 16 years, nobody cared what the people of Israel were doing in that space because they were just focusing on themselves. That was it. But as soon as they began to focus on the mission again, as soon as they began to focus on God's house, all of a sudden the opposition comes, right? You look at Ezra 5, verse 3, it says, At the same time, Tadnei, the governor of the province beyond the river, and Shethra, man, that name, come on, you get it. And their associates came to them and spoke to them thus, who gave you a decree to build this house and to finish this structure? They also asked them this, what are the names of the men who are building this building? And the opposition begins to come. Oh, my friends, we expect opposition, don't we? We're not shocked by this. In fact, it's in opposition that I think the church can often do its best work, right? I mean, when Jesus comes to us, he says, hey, I want you to love your enemies. He says, everybody loves their friends. Who cares about that? But when you love your enemies, whoa, that's different stuff. People look at that and say, hey, what's with you? I don't even understand what you're doing. And I think we live in a time right now when I think about what's happening with cancel culture, when I think about what's happening with cultural values that are shifting in ways that are difficult for us in the church, that seem to be so directly opposed to us in the church. It's within this space that we have the opportunity to do kingdom work that the world looks at and goes, what's with you? People are against you. Groups are against you. And yet you continue to figure out how to love others, especially your enemies. What's with you? We expect the opposition to come. We're okay with the opposition. This is the kingdom way. The scripture's clear. If our master, if Jesus Christ faced opposition and suffering, should we be shocked if we face it as well? Of course not. Of course not. But it's in the midst of this that we have such a tremendous opportunity to do his kingdom work. The opposition is real. You know, I think one of the reasons sometimes why... Um, I'm surprised by opposition is because I'm not actually aware of how significant the opposition is that's against us consistently. Do you know what I mean? I mean, we live in a broken world, right? Like the world's broken. We're in a pandemic. It's real. It's groaning. We know that. It's against us in so many ways. 
We know that our sinful nature is against us. The things we ought to do, we don't do and don't want to do, and we fight against that, and it's real, and it's a pressure, it's true. The evil one is against us. The evil one is prowling, looking for whom he may devour. It's real. The spiritual world is real. The realm is real. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. It's real. There's tremendous opposition against us. But that's not the whole picture. Because while there's tremendous opposition against us, God is for us. And the opposition against God and his mission is not equal and opposite. It's like so significantly small compared to the power of our God who's going before us. And he is at work in us and through us. And one of the things that we talked about on our tour was the same power that raised Christ from the dead is the same power at work in us. And in essence, it's raising us from the dead again as well, renewed into the mission he's calling us to do. We're not surprised by the opposition. We need to focus on not so much who's against us, but who is for us, and it's our God. And that's what Ezra goes on and he says. He says, again, then the third thing, that missional renewal is never easy, but we are not alone In verse 5 it says, But the eye of their God was on the elders of the Jews, and they did not stop them until the report should reach Darius, and then an answer be returned by letter concerning it. Do you hear that? These people are actively opposed to the work that God's people are doing, but it says they're not all that's present. God is present. And his eye was on them. And he was working for them. And the opposition didn't win. They could continue to build. Why? Because God was for them. My friends, we are not alone in this work. God is with us in this moment. And he's not just seeing us. He's actively at work with us. He's actively moving on our behalf. On his behalf for his mission. You know, I was um, driving here this morning. I drove past the YMCA. And I kind of paused as I drove past because there's a skate park there. And when our boys were younger and we would tour and go to different places, we would always stop at skate parks so our boys could skateboard. And I would watch them. Jen and I would watch them. We'd watch them a lot. And and then for a while, I tried to join in with them. (laughs) I tried to join in with them. And that was a terrible experience because I actually immediately broke my arm as I tried to join in. I just fell off the skateboard, broke my arm. 40-year-olds shouldn't start skateboarding for the first time. That's a bad idea. I remember broke my arm. I remember one day I'm sitting in the hot tub with Cole, and I said to him, I said, Cole, if you could change anything about your dad, what would you change? And he goes, oh... I wish that you would skateboard with me more. And I said, well, son, that's not going to change. I said that. I just want you to get that idea right out of your mind. I tried to skateboard with you, and that broke me, so I'm just going to watch you skateboard. But I love you. You go skateboard. I'm going to watch you. When it says here that the eye of God was on the elders of the Jews, it's not just that he's saying, go do your thing. I'm going to watch you. It's saying that he's intimately involved with them. And he's intimately involved with us. He is at work with us. He goes with us in mission. Do you know that in the scriptures, almost without exception, almost without exception, when God calls his people to go on mission, almost without exception, he tells them that he's going with them. And here's what I think that says to me, that the call to mission is actually the call to intimacy. It's actually in the going that we experience God at work in our lives. And I think we're in this space right now where we're longing to experience God at work again. We know renewal needs to take place and we're kind of going, if we could just experience God, we would go. But the reality is it's in the going that we experience God. 
And he's calling us to engage his mission because it's in mission that we experience intimacy because our God is at work. This renewal that he's calling us to is never easy, but my friends, we are not alone. Our God is at work. And then finally, missional renewal is never easy. But in Christ, we are more than conquerors. He is actively at work taking what the evil one means for our destruction and actually using it for an even greater good. Timothy Keller always says, he says that God gives the evil one just enough rope to hang himself. That if the evil one knew what God was going to do, that he probably wouldn't have taken that step in the first place because God takes it and takes his plans and turns it for an even greater good. This is what happens with Ezra, right? The people who are opposed to them end up writing letters back to the new king of Persia and saying to them, hey, these are what the people are doing. Are you sure that you want them to be doing this? Is this what's supposed to be happening? And then listen to what the king responds to them. He writes them a letter back and he says this, let the work on this house of God, let the, let the work on this house of God alone. Let the governor of the Jews and the elders of the Jews rebuild this house of God on its site. Moreover, I make a decree regarding what you shall do for these elders of the Jews, for the rebuilding of this house of God. The cost is to be paid to these men in full and without delay from the royal revenue, the tribute of the province from beyond the river. They're trying to stop this work, the people from the environment, and they write the letter, and then the king writes back and says, hey, not only will you not stop them, but now you're going to pay for the work that they're doing. You're going to supply them everything that they need. And then he tells them, if anyone stands against and does not, does not obey my decree, then you'll pay with your life for it. And he just takes their plan of opposition and turns it and brings an even greater good in terms of what God is doing in that space. Hey, this is the gospel, isn't it? Isn't this the very essence of the gospel? That what seemed to be the worst moment in all history when Jesus Christ went to the cross and died and was placed in the grave, when the evil one thought he had won, when he played the trump card and thought he had, he had total victory in that moment, God's son, dead for crimes he didn't commit, buried in the ground, finished over. The evil one's kingdom had finally had dominated, had ruled, had conquered. And then three days later, what happens? He rises again. He defeats death. He beats the evil one and his plan. And he begins the journey of renewal for all of us. Where when we now come back to him and surrender to him, he restores, renews, refocuses us. And he takes what the evil one wanted for destruction. The worst moment in all history begins, becomes the greatest moment in all eternity. And that same work is at work with us now. In Romans chapter 8, verse 35, it says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. And then he says in verse 37, No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Did you hear that? Because of Jesus Christ, we are more than conquerors. You know, a conqueror, when an evil one attacks, they can stop the evil one. They can keep the evil one from accomplishing, you know, their mission, their purpose. What's more than a conqueror? More than a conqueror then is someone who not only simply stops the evil one, but actually turns their mission in such a way that it would have been better for the evil force to not have attacked in the first place. But because they played their hand, now there's something even greater that comes out of it. 
even greater than, and I'm, I'm hearing this and I'm saying we're more than conquerors through Christ. And I got to tell you, I'm asking the question, Lord, what is the greater thing that's going to happen through this next while? I mean, it just feels so overwhelmed. It feels too much. It feels like things are against us. And yet I'm reading this and I'm hearing that Jesus says, no, we are more than conquerors. Creation is broken. We're living in a pandemic, but we're more than conquerors. There's a chance to create great, to experience great hope. The evil one is against us. He's actively at work, but we are more than conquerors. We will turn his way against him so that even a greater good can come to us and come to all people as we begin to engage in his work of renewal. Our own sinful natures are struggling we're having a hard time but as we lean into Jesus he says you will be more than conqueror even in the midst of the difficulty even in the midst of the hardship as you turn to Jesus and in the midst of the tears you worship because you're experiencing Jesus in such an intimate way the culture will come and say what is it with you you're losing everything we value and yet still you have hope and we say because there's a greater hope And maybe our culture is more open to that greater hope now than ever before because the things we've hoped in aren't working anymore. And in the midst of this, this call of renewal, we can be more than conquerors. This is what God has called us into. He really has. And it's hard. It's difficult. But this is where we are. And Jesus has called us to a time such as this. And we need to ask him to restore and renew us absolutely. But even in the midst of our brokenness, he calls us into his mission. And it's engaging his mission that we experience his flourishing, his work, his provision. My friends, we are called to mission, the work of the king. We are called to renewal, agents of renewal in the space where God has placed us. And we need to lean in. You know, when we met with youth pastors, we, we asked them three questions. The first question we asked them is, what's the greatest challenges you've faced over the last 18 months? Because God never calls us to be disengaged from the reality of what is in the midst of the space. We acknowledge the difficulty, the hardship, the pressures we do. But what we do in that moment then is we see this, but then we put on the lens of what's truly real, and that's God at work in the midst of this. That's different. That's different. We don't just look at this. We actually look through the lens of the reality that we have a God who's at work more than a conqueror, right? Which leads us to the next question. We start asking the next question. We said, hey, if your ministry didn't exist, the work you didn't do didn't exist, what difference would that make for the kids that you're working with right now? What difference would it make? If you quit right now and walked away, what's the loss? We started telling stories of, you know, the one, one, young, one young person who... Um, who's involved in trying to use her gifts and skills to serve others because her youth pastor has been helping equip and, 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 and shape her for that. And I thought, if you didn't exist, where would she learn that? Where would she be on mission? We talked about one youth ministry that works with kids that are struggling with mental health in the midst of this. And this, their place was a safe place for these kids to go to. We said, if you quit and walked away, where would those five, 10 kids go to find that kind of support and care in a wonderful kingdom way? Where would it be? And what about us here? What about the businesses we're involved in? What about the families that we play a role in? What about the organizations that we are volunteering in? If we didn't exist and enter that space with a vision for renewal, for kingdom work, who would fill that spot in that space? Who would do that work? What if Allersley Road didn't exist anymore? Our church wasn't here. Where would we go 
to be reminded again of the gospel and the truth of scripture and God's work in the midst of this space. Who would fill this space in southwestern Edmonton? Like who would, who would do that work? What if these things weren't present? What about the children that come here and get to hear the wonderful stories of God's faithfulness? Where we've got, there's something important going on here. We've got to stay the course. We need to be renewed. And then we ask the question, what would it look like if by God's grace, we could become even 10 times more effective? If 10 times more fruit would begin to take place. Fruit, not just being like growth numerically, but what about growth in ourselves? What if we experienced God in that way? What if that kind of renewal could happen? Man, this is God's work. His kingdom is at work. He's not done. This isn't the end. We are called to be renewed by him and be agents of his renewal in the place where we are. And the God of Israel who speaks in Ezra is the same God who is speaking to us now. Renewal is going to happen. Not even the gates of hell will stand against the work of the church. It's going to happen. Will we join in? We should expect opposition. We shouldn't be shocked or surprised by that. Of course, we live in a broken world. We have our own sinful nature. The evil one is prowling. But God is for us. And he is with us. And he is actively working. And we are more than conquerors through Christ. And so we have hope. And this is the hope we bring into the midst of a broken space. To bring renewal. Let me pray. Father, I love you. Thank you for who you are. I pray, Lord, that you would refocus us on the work that you would continue to have for us. And not maybe just refocus, but reaffirm because you are at work and we're so thankful for that. And there are so many people who are faithfully engaging in your mission, in their communities, in their families, in the programs that we do. We say thank you for that. Restore hope, restore strength, Lord. Restore us. And then as we lean back into mission again, maybe it's praying, maybe it's actively speaking and, and, and engaging conversation. Perhaps it's engaging in acts of justice and care for the poor and the needy and the most, the most vulnerable in, in our communities. Father, whatever it is that you're calling us to in your mission, I pray in the midst of that we would experience intimacy with you. That in the mission, you would be restoring and renewing us. And we say thankful, thank you, Lord, for your call, for your presence. We love you in your name. Amen.